You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. I remember visiting with Anthony once about camping. And I think I said, I'm all into camping. As long as there's a breakfast buffet in the lobby and nice place to lay my head on the bed. And I don't want to get wet. I don't want to set up a tent. That's the kind of camping I do. And these folks are the real deal. They not they don't just camp. They travel the world and with their kids. And I'm just so tickled that they're with me today. And I'm fascinated with, I think, with what they're about to tell me. So Kristen and Anthony Quill, welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? And I'll go with you first, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing well. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. And see how that works? Anthony said you weren't going to talk, and that's how that works. I just asked you a question, and you had to come up for something. That was a pretty good answer, too. <laughs> that works. I like it. <laughs> Anthony, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. This is going to be fun. It is. So do you remember that conversation that we had? Because you had just been out sleeping somewhere up up around the Boundary Waters. And I've never been there, by the way. I've never been to the Boundary Waters. And and, and then when I've now visited your website, your blog, your Instagram, I'm going... This is the real deal. You people are really into this, and this is fascinating. From tent to takeoff. By the way, you can find that on Instagram. You can find it on Facebook. And and they have the website, too, from tenttotakeoff.com. Kristen, tell me, (laughs) how did this idea become, what was the genesis for for? from tent to takeoff. And we'll get into the details about the kids and the travel. How how did this get started? I think it originally started when we were living overseas. We traveled a lot with our young kids. And then when we moved back to Minnesota. Wait, now wait. When you say young kids, how old were they at the time? Well, we traveled with both of our kids from about two months old like internationally from two months old. We moved overseas oh. when our oldest was two months old. And our youngest yeah. was four. Now, for the record, that's young. Yeah. That's young. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Continue. I interrupted you. I'm so sorry. No. So we loved traveling. And then when we were moving back to Minnesota from Malta, we took four or five weeks yeah. and traveled Europe. And kind of during that, we thought, this is so fun. I don't think enough people do, you know, travel with their kids. We should start a blog about traveling with young kids. We have all these tips and tricks and things we've learned along the way, how to make it a good experience when kids are out of their comfort zone, you know, out of their house at that age. And then I think during COVID, we started doing a lot of camping and realized there was this whole other market of families that want to get out, don't know how to get started getting outside or camping. And kind of the more we did, the more shocked our friends were and kind of thought we were crazy. So then Anthony, after our latest or last summer trip was like, we're going to do this. First, we need a name. (laughs) Was that the Morocco trip? Right. Nope. This the... was our last Boundary Waters trip. Yeah. So we've kind okay, of okay. You, we kicked this idea around for forever, um, and then COVID hit, and we didn't travel at all because you couldn't. And so we kind of went back to our roots, which was camping. And as you say, it's it's the real deal. And we kind of realized, at least in our mind, that the camping and the traveling, there isn't a big difference between them. The base skill set, especially when you're taking kids out, is really the same. You're just in a different place and kind of some of the, the activities are different, but the whole idea of getting your kids out of the house and 
and doing something that's outside of all of the family's comfort zone is really the same thing. So we thought, well, we like to do both. We can't travel now, but we can camp. So let's start there. And then, you know, we will write up some of our old um, trips and then we'll start traveling again. And then they'll both kind of, in our minds, blend together into one, you know, kind of family adventure. Anthony, this adventurous DNA thing that you both have, is it a result of what your parents did? And then I'll ask you the same thing, Chris. Is it, was it a result of what your parents did when you were young? I think it's partial. So when I grew up, you know, I spent a lot of time on my grandparents' farm. So my dad worked as an electrician during the week. And then on the weekends, we went down to the farm and then he helped my grandparents, which really meant from a very young age, we were kind of kicked out the door and, you know, told to go have fun. So the camping probably came from that because we'd have, you know, we'd go to like an army surplus store. My dad would outfit us with a whole bunch of ill-fitting old army clothes. And then we'd just be off in the woods doing, you know, whatever we wanted. Um, and then I got involved in the Boy Scouts and this whole kind of backcountry camping really started with the Scouts. Um, so we did big trips up to the Boundary Waters and then I kind of realized that's that's my thing. That's what I enjoy. Uh, hmm. And stuck with it. And Kristen's story. Kristen, how about for, yes. what, what's that? My story is very different than Anthony's. Okay. So my parents are both in education and they were teaching in Saudi Arabia and they flew back to Minnesota for the summer and I was born and then they moved back four weeks later. So I spent my whole childhood living overseas, growing up in quite a few different countries. But every summer we would come home because both my parents were originally from Minnesota and my dad is from Tower, like the Iron Range. And he grew up with his four brothers camping in the Boundary Waters and they live, his mom had a place on Lake Vermilion, which is an easy access point into the Boundary Waters. So I grew up going there every summer and fell in love with it and Wanted to continue doing it. So we did it together without kids too. And then yeah. wanted to have my kids experience it. How many years were you in Saudi Arabia? So my parents were there for, I think, six. But I was only there for four of the years. Okay. How, how close in terms of where your dad grew up is that to Hoyt Lakes? I don't know. I don't actually know. Okay. So there's there's some ad, adventure as a result of your upbringings. Well, clearly a little, a little different for you, Kristen, because you you were living in Saudi Arabia. And probably coming back to Minnesota was kind of odd, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and you were forced to, to out of the house. Is kind of how I interpreted what you just said, Anthony. They watch you out doing something. Yeah. Which is how, by the way, that's how I grew up. Now, didn't go into camping, but when we got home from school, you took your school clothes off, put your play clothes on, finished your homework, went outside, came back for dinner, went back out. That's that. That's kind of how we grew up. So that's the extent of my adventure. I think we had two, maybe three vacations as a kid. Okay. So, so I'm going to go back to the Genesis question. Was there a point in time when it was very clear that from our experiences, and I should actually let me rephrase that. What was the particular, there must have been a particular event, I'm assuming, that caused you to say, we should help people because we have these experiences and we're going to continue searching for new ones. What, what happened that caused you to say, we're going to do this? I, I don't know specifically, but my bet would be Kristen got an email from someone in the summer asking questions about Malta. And so, you know, we lived yeah. in Malta for five years, which was, you know, the first five years of 
Henrik, our oldest life, and the first two of Betty, our youngest, she was born there. And we traveled a lot, and we always got emails from people, and we would end up putting together basically trips for them. You know, everything they needed to know, and then it would morph into, like, how do I fly with a kid, or do I bring my stroller, or can I rent a car, and, like, all these other kind of ancillary questions. And I think we just, we were kicking tires for so long that I just got mad and said, we're doing this. And I kind of have one of these personalities that once I decide to do something, it goes really fast. And so I <laughs> and think- there's no turning back. <laughs> and there's no turning back. So I think Kristen's like, yep, okay, he said this before. And then, you know, we probably dropped 500 bucks on a website and all kinds of stuff. And Kristen's like, uh-oh, I better hold on tight. This is, this is actually happening and it's, it's going right now. <laughs> And that was, I think, so that should be Fourth of July ish. I think the website actually went live like the Fourth of July, which shows my great point. Uh, yeah. Twenty two or twenty one. Twenty two or twenty one. Twenty two. Man, that's not that long ago, no. and you're just getting all sorts of activity on your Instagram account. You you, you must be kind of giddy at times. We it's it's gone we, faster yeah. and slower than we. But I think that initially it went way really slow. slower than we thought. You know, we thought we'd put all this great stuff out there and we'd have all these people following us. Yeah. So I think that part went slow. And then, you know, you learn some tricks too of how to post on Instagram. And, yeah. and you find out what you're either good at or what's interesting to you, you know, and we found that Instagram's full of lots of little cute videos of people kind of doing dances. And we just realized that we weren't good at that. Like what we were creating was not engaging. Or that no one wanted to see you doing Or no one wants dances. to see me. <laughs> and so we kind of switched and we've done, which, you know, they say isn't the best thing to do on Instagram, but it's a lot of just static pictures from our trips. And then what we like to think are well-written captions. So people can, you know, not only see the destination with maybe us in it, maybe us not. And I think the point's not about our family. It's about, you know, people being able to visualize themselves in somewhere, you know, unique or out of their comfort zone. And then writing something each time that hopefully is meaningful, that resonates or that's intriguing or that has some advice or tips and tricks. And for us, that started to work. And frankly, it's a lot less work than creating little videos. <laughs> and more fun for me. I was, well, I... I was not enjoying that. I have a feeling, in fact, on one of the photos, there's the caption. I wonder why Anthony's never in these photos. I, I, th I think that's almost exactly what it says. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I would say, by the way, that the picture of the kids, everybody wants to see that. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody wants to see that. And and then you, Kristen and Anthony, maybe not you so much, but I, mean, <laughs> I think you. Probably no, I'm kidding. For I'm, sure. <laughs> so I and I love the way you say you're you're so creative. By the way, Kristen, the I love the way you break in break down the website to tent takeoff. That was just so clever. What caused you to do that? Actually, Anthony is the website designer, writer. He only bounces ideas with that. Like, yeah. I'd say if you like split our duties, if it's written, it's me. You know, if it's visual, it's Kristen. You know, if you look at my iPhone, I probably have like eight pictures on it <laughs> because I just never take it out. You know, obviously that'll have to change now. But Kristen takes a lot of the pictures, the videos. But, but we were struggling because, you know, a lot of the advice we got was that you need to, like, have a specific target audience. And yeah. we were struggling because the way we view the world is quite different. You know, we aren't just travelers and we're not just outdoors people. You know, we do both. And when we travel, you know, a lot of the activities we choose are outdoors. You won't see us at museums and doing city tours and things like that in Parts are, you know, what we find interesting and parts with kids that just doesn't work. But we were trying to think, like, how do we combine both of those into something that has some continuity to it? So if people come to the website, they don't just say, I have no idea what you two are up to and I can't figure this out, so I'm moving on. Yeah. And that was kind of our, what we figured out is there's kind of two pillars to our life. And hopefully if we split them up, if someone comes and they just want to 
figure out how to bring their two-year-old to the boundary waters, they can find their way to that section quickly. And if they want to go to the Lofton Islands in Norway and go stand up paddleboarding, they can click on the right side and hopefully, you know, find their way to that article. Yeah. So hopefully there's a little something for everyone. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think it was very clever. And that was your idea, Anthony? I know it's surprising, isn't it? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. Well, maybe. maybe. I do think I, the name was mine. We bounced. Oh, so many names. And, you know, we we would send them to like family members, vote on your fate, you know, like rank these in order. <laughs> yeah. And I, the way I solicit advice is I kind of know what I want and I'm really just looking for confirmation bias. <laughs> so I kind of had that done and I just yeah. peppered it till I got the right answers, but it seems to work. I think people, you know, you can kind of track how people bounce around on a website and, you know, the traffic we have so far, they are finding their way to the right spot eventually. Yeah, I, I, I love it. And, and by the way, that is the best way to seek advice. You give somebody one to two, never more than three. Yeah. What do you think of these three? Which one do you like? Or which one do you don't like? And all of a sudden, it, it's pretty much what you were thinking you liked anyway, and you help them by not giving them too many choices because choices sometimes are are really confusing. Before I forget, this just flashed in my mind when you said videos. There's a, a short video of you, Anthony, crawling into, actually walking into a, 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 a hole in the ice <laughs> somewhere. And so, and, 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 and you can't see your face, so I can't tell how you're enjoying it. So where where was that and how was it for you? Yep. So that's at um Kristen's parents' house. They have a it's their house, but it's you know on a lake up in, in Annandale, Minnesota. Um and they have a proper wood burning sauna. And so one of the things we like to do, um, being you know proper Scandinavians is we light up the sauna and we get the chainsaw out and we cut a hole in the ice. And, you know, we heat up in the sauna and then we go for a dip. Um, and so... And on Christmas, or like when we celebrate yeah. with our family, everyone does it. Our kids, my nieces and nephews, grandma and grandpa. The only one we haven't been able to get to go in the ice water is my 98-year-old grandma. <laughs> She'll get there. She's realized that that might be a bit much for her. Well, she's had... Plenty of other experiences, I would yeah, say. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so but by the way, how, how how long are you in the ice water after in the sauna? See how I said that? I didn't say sauna. Yep, I, I said like sauna. It. So I think it depends on your level of craziness. Um, so Anthony's is I'm on high. one extreme. <laughs> you can guess which one. Our kids, you know, we don't have a video of them because it is such a quick process that there's not much to capture. Um, I actually enjoy it. So I don't know. I was in there 20, 30 seconds, maybe, or, more, or yeah. maybe more, maybe a minute. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. I like the challenge. Okay. I don't think most people do. And I think you do well, I've, I've been in ice baths, so I'm curious. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. You do it multiple times too. So I think yeah. like the one I took a video of was like your third or fourth time. Yeah. And I think every time you go in, it gets a little <laughs> bit less shocking. So you can stay in a little bit longer yeah. every time too. And it depends on the ambient environment, you know? So what you can't sure. see in the video is this year, I think it's like 10 degrees out and the wind is just howling across the lake. Oh. So some years we do it and it's just beautiful. This year it was strange that you had the snow, then under the snow you had probably three inches of water then you had the wind. So, you know, you got pretty cold just getting yourself out to that hole in the ice. Whereas some years, you know, it's a nice walk out there and you can stay in much longer. Mm. Well, as an outdoor runner, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when, when sometimes the conditions are a bit more challenging than, than other times. So, so I want to start walking through some of the really cool things on, on your website you call it your blog. I'm going to call it your, your, your website. And I won't go into great detail because I want people to go to it. Uh, anybody that's remotely thinking about 
traveling and or traveling with, with kids because this you don't have to be traveling with kids to uh, ex learn a lot from this wonderful website from tenttotakeoff.com. I love the top 10 tips and tricks for traveling. I'm just I'm just going to read the titles. Yes. I'm not going to go into the text because those were just, uh, they were a killer. So number one, and this is brilliant, involve kids in planning process. So before I go on to the next one, kind of, Kristen, what, what does that mean to you when you say you're going to involve the kids? Exactly how does that work? Well, I think it's just important to make sure that they feel like they're a part of, you know, the process and you do things that interest them too, because they're just going to enjoy it and make the trip more enjoyable for everyone. Also, if they know they've got something that they um, want to do. Yeah. So like a, one that really stands out in my head is um, when we were traveling in Europe, we ended in Iceland and our son at the time was really into ocean animals. And I had found online a whale museum and we saved it for the last day. Um, but he, the whole time in Iceland was just like, Oh, I can't wait for this whale museum. And we were able to, you know, maybe do a, extra hikes or just no, he had that knowing like his thing was coming. So it just kind of helped, helped everyone. <laughs> mm. So you have them taking ownership of, of the deal early on. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. By the way, Deb and I flew over to uh, the Netherlands back in October and flew over Greenland and Iceland. And for whatever reason, they've missed, they've just inaccurately named those two places. Yeah. Iceland looks like a Greenland, and Greenland looks like an Iceland. Yeah. So, food for thought. Second one, be flexible. Take advantage of the unexpected. I love that because the unexpected is going to happen like. All the time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, you know, we we always have a plan. And I'll tell you. Well, I, wait. One of us always has a plan. I'm, I'm not the planner. <laughs> I've got stories of trips where I've just bought in a flight and, you know, left the rest up to the gods. But we always leave time in every day. We never pack each day with events. Because what we've learned is the things we remember from our trips always come by happenstance. And so on that, mm. I think we have a picture of a little festival we saw in Portugal. And it was, you know, just because we didn't have anything going on, we were driving around, we always rent a car. And, you know, I think the lady running our kind of the farm that we were staying at said, hey, you can go into town. It's a small town, but there's a festival. And it was great. We were the only non-Portuguese there. It was a ton of fun. You know, the kids had an absolute blast and we were able to because we weren't packing our days with kind of top 10 things you should do in XYZ city. Hmm. Hmm. That's a great idea. Ne number three, never leave home without snacks. Now are you speaking from experience. It was there, was there one time that you left without snacks? I learned early on with, in my relationship with Anthony, that he just needs to have snacks all the time. <laughs> And then she applied that knowledge to, to the, the, the yes, kids. his offspring. <laughs> yeah. So that's really for Anthony. Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay. All right. Also, I got, also, I got. Number four. <laughs> I just know that at least for our children, one thing that's going to make sure that they're kind of in the right mindset, happy, is to have a you know a full tummy. And yeah. I never, I think, raising children have really left home without something stashed in my purse because you never know when you'll need to pull out a granola bar. Yeah. I mean, even when we go to the airport in our carry-on and our checked luggage, there is some food because you never know. You could get a delayed flight, get in at midnight. You know, at that point, we had a one-year-old or a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And the last thing you want to do is 
be looking for food, sometimes in labels you can't even read, um, yeah. and, and trying to get something in their belly. And, you know, if you just know that you've got their favorite, you know, granola bar in both packs, you'll be fine. They'll, they'll survive. They can eat that for a meal and they're going to be just fine. So this, this leads me to a question I, I, I think people should think about. So if you've, you have a planned day and it's going to be a fairly active, you're going from point A to point B, maybe from B to C as well. Uh, maybe the first time in wh whatever the destination is, and if you have a full tummy, eventually some of your tummy wants to get out of there, right? Some, some <laughs> And uh, has there ever been a time where you go, oh, there isn't a, there isn't a bathroom close. There, there isn't one of, something of convenience close enough, and maybe we shouldn't have such a full tummy? I mean, for kids... So we spend a lot of time in the countryside. So, you know, if we're going to okay. a good example, if we're going to the Rome area, we're not in Rome with kids. It's just not, that's just not what we do. We would be staying at a, we call them a farm stay usually outside of Rome and we could go in for the day or not. I mean, I do remember, I can't remember where we were, or I might've been traveling alone for work, but you know, that does come up. And in Europe, yeah. especially like you can't just go to McDonald's and use the bathroom. It's just not, that's not how the system works. So you end up buying a croissant or something just so you can get the little number that's on your receipt so you can go use the bathroom. So you've got options, but yeah. they're different options than you would have if you're, you know, downtown Minneapolis or something like that. And kids in the country, by the way, I, they can go anywhere. You know, they. I also over. am pretty sure that like, luckily, I guess one was usually in a diaper, you know, whether it be like at night or what. And I think once we had to like take one, use it for the other one that wasn't, you know, just as an emergency. Yeah. You have to get creative. Yeah. Okay. Number four, don't be afraid to buy groceries and cook. That's where the, whether you're camping or uh, take on, you're, you're traveling abroad. That doesn't matter, right? Buy groceries. Yeah. yeah. It's also less expensive than eating out, isn't it? For sure. Typically. And your kids can get the food that they want probably yeah. too. <laughs> sure. I mean, kids don't like to eat out, especially when they're really young. And it's just like if you try to force things like that, the trip just ends up being really stressful. So we usually eat one meal out a day. It's usually like a late lunch, early dinner yeah. meal. So we'll have one nice meal where we you know, have kind of prepared the kids where they can get through whatever we want to experience. Um, and other than that, it's either we're at bed and breakfast, so we have a nice breakfast each morning, um, or we go grocery shopping and we cook. And we'll cook full meals, mm -hmm. just not fancy ones. And it works. And uh, honestly, it's it sounds weird, but it's way more enjoyable and less stressful than trying to take your kids out for each meal. Yeah. And like in Norway, it was some of the best salmon. You know, we bought salmon at a local market and it was some of the, we cooked it at the place we were staying, but it was some of the best salmon we've had. Yeah, it's probably so. the best salmon meal we've had, and, you know, it was left up to me, and I didn't even really know what I was doing. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> Good ingredients can take you pretty far, I guess. Yeah. Number five, it's okay to bring games and toys. That seems like almost a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, kind of along with the snacks, I almost always have a small little game in my purse. So if we're at a restaurant or waiting in line for something and it's taking too long, I can pull it out and it provides us with a little yeah. entertainment and it takes up no room. And we still do it. If we, mm. we have at a restaurant just across the street and if we go out as a family, we have a little dice game that we know everyone likes. That's not too loud. It's not, you know, it doesn't bother anyone. And we always pull that out. And that yeah. way we can talk and, you know, do kind of what you want to do at a dinner without having the I'm bored, I'm hungry, I'm this, I'm that type conversations. Or without having our kids just watch the, their iPad, yeah. which is something we try. We don't do much of. Yeah, to avoid. Yeah, so that's, that's the next one. Sc uh, screen time is okay, 
And that's coming from two folks that you're not big screen time people. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. Our kids really at least kind of birthed through five. We saved screen time for the airplane. Like that was because we, you know, our door to door was like 20 hours from Minnesota to Malta. And we knew that was kind of (laughs) the only thing that would keep them in their seat for so long. So we just, and we don't really watch that much TV too. So it was easy to, for them to follow. But then that was our special, (laughs) special airplane treat. Sure, sure. Seven, stay outside of the city. And then you made specific reference to agritourism and farms. Yeah. And you kind of just referenced that outside of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say in Europe, and especially Southern Europe, it is by far the best way to travel with kids. Bar none, I would argue that, you know, against anyone. And you can still see what you want to see as an adult. You're just kind of doing it more through the eyes of the kid. So a good example is we went to Barcelona in Spain, but we didn't stay in Barcelona. We stayed kind of outside of Girona, which is kind of just north of Spain. We stayed at a farm. We had nice meals. The kids could run around. They could scream. They could play. They could do whatever they wanted to do as kids. And then we took one day where we drove into the city, took the train around, kind of hit all the main stops you'd want to see in Barcelona with kids in tow. And then we went back to the farm and enjoyed ourselves. And, it and was- a lot of... So, when, go ahead. A lot of the agro-tourisms are set up, too, for families. Yeah. So they have a swing set or, you know, stuff for the kids along with farm animals yeah. and... Yeah, and they all prov- almost all provide a breakfast and a lot of them... And they all love kids. Yeah. They would like to hug ours and yep. <laughs> cuddle them. And... Yeah. Well, oftentimes you can go see the animals or if they make cheese, you get to see how they make the cheese or, you know, we've taken pasta making classes where, you know, the kids just slept on the kitchen floor while we made pasta and, and they just, you know, off a lot of places we stayed, they might've had three, four, five, six rooms all close to each other. So we used to take our iPhones and with FaceTime, we'd set one on mute, one not, we'd have a little baby monitor and we could have a nice meal while our kids slept. And we knew they were safe. They knew nothing would happen. And it was peaceful. Especially because in Italy, the meal time wasn't until like 8 or 9 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> which was way past our children's bedtime. Yep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> by, by the way, is the, this agritourism, is that more prevalent in Europe than it is here? I think it's well-developed there. So Italy has a okay. website, I think it, agriturismi.it or something, that you can just book them. It's almost like a booking.com or a hotels.com just for farm stays. And I'd say Portugal and Spain are getting there. There's a, Spain has Casas Rurales, which is, some of them are different, but it's the same concept. Um, and I think it has to do with just the history there. There's so many of these old medieval villages that kind of, had a bunch of farmhouses that kind of got run down, and then it's been a way to revitalize the yeah. the smaller communities in Southern Europe. Mm. Eight, leave top 10 must-see lists behind. And I wouldn't say it's like leave it totally behind, but take a look, pick out a couple things that interest you, and go off of that not hitting all of the must-sees. Yeah. Yeah. So especially when you're with kids, just taking it easy. Again, you never know what, you know, is going to come up. So to have a flexible schedule. Yeah. And you'll remember these smaller experiences, like more human experiences, far more than what's in most top 10. So you think of Rome, they're going to tell you to go to the Colosseum. And it's cool, but it's busy. And you're not going to take a better picture than the, you know, thousands of photographers that have seen it, but you can just go outside of Rome and have a wonderful time that you'll for sure remember. You know, you'll never forget those experiences. No. Some of my favorite experiences in Rome was during my morning running. Yeah. Where, there, yeah. you know, there, no, nobody there and I could see 
some of the most spectacular architecture ever. Yep. It's been around for 2,000 years, whatever, and and there's nobody in it. I can take a picture with my yeah. my phone. Nice. Uh, unlike you, Anthony, I use mine quite a bit. I take a <laughs> lot of photos. Way, way too many, by the way. So the, the, I'm going to say this question or this item, number nine, probably gets a lot of activity for you in terms of what are you crazy forget the stroller yeah and in our experience the strollers just have been more work um you know especially in europe it's a lot of like cobblestone streets so the stroller always got stuck and there's a lot of people you know if you're in the city and harder to you know navigate around everything so And I think the caveat is you can't use a stroller exclusively at home and then just not bring it, you know, because kids get used, especially when they're really young, they just get used to whatever you have. And we mm-hmm. always, you know, we had a stroller and we used it, but we did a lot of like baby carrying with this Ergo baby. Yeah. And our kids got used to it. They liked it. They felt safe. They'd sleep all the time. And so for us throwing them in there, you know, it was easy. Easy for him to say because I had the kids (laughs) on me all the time. (laughs) I'd offer. They just didn't have much interest. Sometimes both at the same time. (laughs) I've seen some of those pictures, Kristen. I have seen some of those pictures. Number 10, rent a car. Yeah. That's a must. I mean, just. But let me ask you this question. If you're in a part of. Europe, where you're on, you know, you're driving on the right hand side instead of the left, or vice versa. And that doesn't happen everywhere. That's only certain parts of Europe. Does that take a little getting used to? <laughs> so Malta, where we lived from 2014 to 2019, is the British style, and so it's on what we would say the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and much of Europe is manual transmission. So Kristen had the great experience of I was traveling a lot for work so often she was just stuck with the kids there and so she got to learn how to drive a stick shift on the wrong side of the road in a country with no street signs oh, to speak no of. google maps no google like, maps <laughs> nothing so and some crazy drivers <laughs> and some crazy drivers yeah so this for us was probably easier because we had that experience you know so if we went to south africa for me driving on the other side of the road is fine it doesn't you know, you get a little confused sometimes, so it's nice having a co-pilot to tell you, hey, you know, you're on the wrong side. Better scoot over quick. But we rented them. I mean, we've rented them everywhere. Yeah. You just made me think of what I was looking at, the website, Jamal. Yeah. yeah. Was that in Morocco? In Morocco. No. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you... I'll, he was a tour guide. You hired him. How did you find him... And why is that such an important part of that trip or that experience? So at least I think this is right. This is what my parents just booked a trip with him for this spring. And they were asking how we came across Jamal. And I said, I was researching like Morocco, Morocco with kids. And I had found another family who used some agency Yep. And had a great experience, although it was like four years prior to when we had gone. So I just reached out to that same one and was like, hey. And they ended up, I think, hiring outside of their company for the drivers. Yeah. Um, but he was amazing. And our trip would have been so much different if we were trying to navigate because we did, we saw so much of the country. Yeah. I mean, we were in the car mm-hmm. like for seven hours or so one day. Yeah, and we never, we never do that. We plan all of our trips ourselves. We never use tour guides. And I don't know why for Morocco we decided because I think the only other time we've used a guide was our honeymoon. Yeah. And other than that, in all of our years of travel, we've always done it from scratch. And he ended up being great. I mean, we have, we probably have more pictures of him carrying our kids through Moroccan streets than we do of me, which is not too surprising, but 
I mean, he's wonderful. The kids still know him. We still have, you know, calls with them. We text. He wishes happy birthdays. He's taken a couple of friends on trips since then. Um, so that's, you know, you know, those are one of the real reasons we like traveling is not just seeing things, but these kind of human experiences. Hmm. And that's definitely one of them. It was Morocco the summer of 22 or 21? It was the fall of 2019. Oh, 2019. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, oh pre-COVID. 2018. 2018. So, pre-COVID. <laughs> yep. Pre-COVID. So, I'm going to go back to what, one of your questions regarding uh, involving the kids in the planning process. A I, I, I trip like that, not necessarily the kids at the, at the moment, but because back then they would have been... Two and four. Right now they're six and eight, right? Yeah. Okay, so they would have been two and four. Yeah. Yep. Um, how long did it take you to plan that trip from initial idea to we're ready to go? How, how much planning? That's a good question. Not too much, I'd bet. Probably a month. I'd say the planning process took about a month. And then we probably just were waiting for for takeoff. And a lot of how we pick trips or plan trips is, especially when we were in in Europe, is we just we had a goal to go somewhere at least once every three months. And we would just find the cheapest flight we could to somewhere we had never been. And then we would just buy it and then we'd deal with the rest later. So we might, we might buy a flight and not book anything for another month. But then we knew like we were committed. Dates were booked. I had taken the time off work. You know, we were set. We knew it would be fun because we'd never been there. And we knew one of the big expenses would have been very reasonable. And then we just kind of piece together. We'd find somewhere we wanted to stay or maybe something we wanted to do. And we'd just start to structure a trip around a couple of key pieces. And eventually it'd fall into place. And, you know, as we kind of talked before, we don't plan everything out. So we'd, you know, compared to probably a lot of people's itineraries, we're probably half of planned out and half just ready to see what happens. Do you ever just completely wing it? Me? No. <laughs> Anthony? Yes. So before, so we went to college together. And she's a teacher. So a lot of this whole, like, you know, how to work well with kids obviously comes from a very strong background in teaching elementary school. But, you know, in college, she was teaching in, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And so I decided I wanted to go see her. I convinced her best friend to come with me. Went to the library at Hamlin where we went to school, booked two flights to Rio, told her friend I had it taken care of, and that's all I did. And so we showed up in the Rio airport I found a bus that said Ipanema, and I knew that from that girl from Ipanema, um, Bossa Nova song. I thought, oh, we'll get yeah. off there, and I'm sure we'll find a hotel somewhere. And so me and her friend just stopped at the beach, got off, found a hotel. It's the, <laughs> the extent of my planning abilities right there. It worked. You know, you've just, you just made me think of something that, I was visiting, actually, Deb and I were visiting with somebody, and I think it was, I think it was Rio de Janeiro. So they, they, they went there for kind of a business trip, and they wanted to go out for dinner, but the restaurants don't open until like nine at night. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're kind of like Deb and me. Well, we typically eat, we're on six, right? Because you get into that habit. So all of a sudden, this was a whole new experience, eating at nine, nine o'clock yeah. at night. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Italy's very, most of Southern Europe's very similar. Late. And we had, you know, we've had some evenings that weren't that enjoyable because even the adults were having a hard time staying awake, waiting, just for the, the restaurant just had to open. They didn't even have their lights on yet. Yeah. So you have this wonderful website and full of great information. I'm, I'm curious about this. The 
the tent, which is primarily about, I'm going to say camping, that, that kind of an experience. And then the takeoff, which is the type of travel most people associate with when they're going to plan a vacation. Yeah. We're going to go to Spain. We're going to go to Africa. We're going to go to New York, wherever that might be. Do you have a preference after the years now that you've been doing this, first of all, before you knew each other, then as you were courting, and then that's a word for an old guy, <laughs> courting. And then, and then when you were in Malta, and now as a family, is do you lean stronger in one of those areas, the tent or the takeoff? I think, well, obviously with COVID, it was more of the tent, you know, just that's how kind of the world was. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's going to sound weird, but I don't view them as that different. In my mind, they're really kind of two pieces on the same continuum. So like, I like them equally the same. And I just, I, then I think I like them because of like the sense of adventure and, you know, the, the sense of unknown and, you know, it takes work and it takes skill and there's hardship involved. And, you know, there's always something beautiful at the end of those hard days. And I think it's true in both mm. the international travel and the camping. And, you know, with our travel too, we just spend a lot of time outdoors. And so there's the way we travel. There's not always as distinct of a difference between them. We just have running water and, a, you know, some electricity. Who came up with helping you get off the beaten path, kid-friendly travel, camping, outdoor adventures, and global travel? I think that was you. That's the Instagram bio. Yeah. I think that was Kristen. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. The So the kids are six and eight. Yep. How many places, other than the boundary wall, how many countries, if if you know this off the top of your head, have they been to at the ages of six and eight? I'd say roughly 10. Yeah, 10 to 15, somewhere in there. And in some of those countries we went to a lot. So Italy, we saw a lot went of the to, country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably... 10 to 15, somewhere in there. Yeah. The two of us, a lot more. Probably 50, 60. Yeah. And you still, you love it, don't you? I mean, you, you, Kristen, you love traveling with your kids and Anthony. I do. It's, it's, I don't know. Going back to like which one I like more, the tent or the takeoff. They are very similar, but for me, they're also like really different. Like the... Takeoff, it's about experiencing, you know, new culture or, you know, yeah. cultures and learning about people from all over the world. And the tent part for me is like family focused and like survival. Like, do we have what it takes, you know, to survive in the wilderness and be one that like being one with nature? So, yes, I see the same, a lot of similarities, but for me, I also see they're just different pulls for me too, yeah. like what my, my body and soul needs. I need that camping, but I also need that opening my eyes and my children's eyes to the rest of the world. Is there a favorite place or country that you have experienced that the kids would say, that's my favorite place? Great question. Yeah. It's hard because of their age. You know, they were kind of at that age where, you know, you see it a lot on Instagram, like, is travel worth it with kids? They're not going to remember it. And, you know, they're at that age that they probably don't remember it, but it's still absorbed into them. You know, their whole life view and their skills and whatnot are all impacted by all that travel. So they'd be probably, I bet you if you asked them, it'd be Morocco, yeah. just because it was so unique and relatively recent. And for all of the, like, bigger trips that we do, 
I make like a Shutterfly book for it too that goes over, you know, like the week or however long we were there. And the kids, they love going back and looking at all the places they've been and the fun things that, you know, they've been able to experience. And they've got these strings in their room on the wall that we printed off a bunch of pictures of all these trips. So every time when they wake up, they look across from their bunk beds and they've got kind of a memory wall of everything we've done. This was a no-brainer from from the get-go, wasn't it? I mean, because you two had traveled pretty extensively, and all of a sudden you, you, you have kids. You didn't lose a beat, right? I mean, you, you just started traveling yeah. with the kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, th- I just think what you're doing is brilliant because so many people yeah, – have anxiety when it comes to planning a trip. Planning a trip with another person. Planning a trip with kids. I mean, there's three different types of anxiety there that a lot of people would experience. And the way you're presenting this, it's um, it's almost idyllic, for, for lack of better terms. And the way you put together your website and the information and the wonderful pictures... I'm, I'm saying, who doesn't want to do that? And you're just doing something really special. Kristen, share this with me. The most pleasant memory, if there is such a thing, and maybe the most, maybe one that's not quite as pleasant. Let's Let's put it that way in terms of an experience that people should know about? Okay. So my most pleasant would probably have to be um, in Norway. So we traveled kind of throughout Norway. You're going to steal my idea. Why? And we went, this is a good one. This is a yeah. good one. Okay. So we went up to the these islands kind of above or in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. And we stayed at these red cabins with these beautiful snow-capped mountains and a little little ocean inlet in front of the mountains. And Henrik, who was four-ish at the time, sat in a little, not, he didn't sit in the puddle. He sat by the puddle and played with some wood scraps that had floated to the shore. And he was in his own world playing boats and motoring it around. And I just sat there and was able to look around and be like, I am in this beautiful place and I get to share it with, you know, my wonderful family and my kids are, you know, happily playing. It was just, it was just like a wonderful experience. I don't know. That's like one of my most peaceful traveling she has a time-lapse video of Henrik doing that. He must have done it for forever. He did. He was just in his he own little back world. back and forth, around. Somewhere on your... What's the more unpleasant one, Kristen? I know, that one is hard. I think I've, like, blocked all of those from memory so that I will keep traveling. One that I can okay. think of is... I am pretty organized and for the Morocco trip, I, cause we knew we were going to be in the car a lot. So I had a ton of like coloring activities, sticker things, ticket, like all these different activities. And one of these great activities I thought was going to bring, you know, like those bingo daubers. So I'm like, oh, this would be perfect for two and four-year-olds. They just dab, you know, do a bunch of dots. There, You can, like, color a picture basically with it. And I opened the cap and passed it to Henrik. And the next thing I knew, he was green. Do you remember that? Yeah. He was green, like <laughs> fingers to elbow, both hands. <laughs> and then I have to try to, like, get these new, you know, 
not toys, but new things back from the kids. I'm like, it's not really working well. You're great. You look like a green alien. <laughs> and then at the next stop, I had to like try to get him into the bathroom and like wash him as best I could. And that didn't yeah. go well, which then actually mm-hmm. reminds me of the throw up story. So maybe that's the worst one. I don't know. <laughs> How about for you, Anthony? So the best is similar. It's the same spot. So it's in the Lofton Islands of Norway. Again, right in front of our, we stayed in this little old fishing village that had been converted into like an Airbnb, but we rented stand-up paddle boards. And so I just remember like, so Betty was two and obviously they don't make like wetsuits for two-year-olds. And so this lady had done the best job she could kind of piecing together and Betty came out, and so it was really cold. So you had the booties on, you had gloves, you had the hood, the whole works. And she comes out looking like, like a lobster, just yeah. like these little hands, these little feet. And she is just super excited to hop up on this paddleboard and go out into the Arctic and and paddle around. And we did. It was you had this beautiful backdrop. Ran into some Norwegian boy that was fishing for cod, which is a big thing in those islands, and. You know, kids got to talk to him and watch him fish and stab the fish. He was using a gaff hook. So at first the kids are like, oh, this is really cool. You know, he reaches over the side of the book and hooks the fish, kills him and drags him up. And the kids are like, oh, <laughs> that's not what I know of fishing. <laughs> Isn't there a picture of you on a paddleboard that's the on the website? Yeah. Yeah. There was- and is she on it with you? Yep. Yeah. I had... I can't remember. I think I had Betty and you had Henrik. Yeah. And then we all went for a swim afterwards. That was. Yes. We all jumped in. It was a, it was one of those fun experiences that you don't really think about, but we had an afternoon and we're kind of just looking like, what could we do? It was close by. We didn't think too long about it. We're just like, let's go give it a shot. You know, had we thought about it, we probably would have talked ourselves out of it, but turned out great. Kristen, here's a question for you. You have a magic wand. You can wave over the heads of every family with little ones. They're thinking about some adventure, some travel, some vacation, and it's new to them. Other than going to from tent to takeoff.com, What's the one thing you want them to know about what's in front of them? I think probably you have to go into it with a positive positive outlook and know that things aren't going to be perfect, but they're still going to be great. Hmm. Anthony, same question. I'd say it's on the same kind of same thought process. Just, you know, we talk a lot about like when we're writing this stuff, trying to boil it down to what we're really thinking and a big part of it's mindset. And it's, you know, part of it's just being positive and part of it is being able to let go. So, you know, people think about travel and they think about planning and I'm a horrible planner. And thankfully, you know, Kristen is the opposite of that. So we work well together, but a lot of the reasons that our trips are successful is because we're open-minded and we're not, we don't have these preconceived notions of what it should be. We don't have these expectations of, you know, I'm going to Europe and I want to see this, or I want to experience this. We're kind of just going somewhere with an open mind, ready to absorb whatever comes our way. And I think if you go into a trip, whether it's going to the Wisconsin Dells or it's going to Europe or it's going to Southeast Asia, whatever it is with the idea that you're just, you know, you're like the paper and someone's going to write, then you're going to have a great trip no matter what you do, no matter how you plan it. You know, you're going to make a ton of mistakes and it's not going to matter. If you go into it with the mindset very fixed on, here's what I want to accomplish. Here's what I want to see. Here's how I want to feel after I've seen it. It's going to be hard to have a good trip. Hmm. You know, as we're starting to kind of wrap this up, I think you said, and I think it was you, Anthony, early in our conversation, that you try to do something about every three months. And and 
that's you, you pretty much have stuck to that since the kids came into the world. So four times a year, for the most part, yep. you're doing something very experiential involving the kids uh, that requires some planning and it might be uh, Boundary Waters or it might be Morocco. Yep. It's a- four times a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, you know, now it's more Minnesota focused. But if you think about this year, you know, tomorrow we're going to go up by Ely, Minnesota. We're going to stay in a cabin that's off the grid. So it, you know, has a wood burning stove and, you know, some solar powered lights and a sauna, but that's about it. And since you've never been to the Boundary Waters, <clears throat> if you would like to come meet us there, we're going to go fishing and yep. so we'll do some hiking ice fishing. if you would like to join. Yeah. So that's an easy one for us that it's a four and a half hour drive and we have a, all the gear in our garage and <clears throat> January. So next quarter, we're going to go, we're going to Puerto Rico for five days. And then the next kind of the next three months would be a, we're going to do Arizona Arizona, and part of that's to see her parents there in Tucson. So we're going to add on a Grand Canyon couple of days. Then we'll do our annual boundary waters trip. And then when are you going to Puerto Rico? January. Yeah. Kind of the third week. And when you're going to Arizona? <clears throat> End of March. Yep. Oh, so it's still winter up here and it's, it isn't Death Valley no. hot yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. So you're on Instagram from Tent to Takeoff. Yep. Website blog from tenttotakeoff.com. We'll put all this on Mike Seminary. Dot com, by the way. And you're on Facebook. Uh, Facebook's from Tent to Takeoff as well? They're all yeah. the same. I'd say Facebook we're the least active on. Um, just because, you know, as you know, we both, we like to think we're a normal family. We both have full-time jobs. We have kids that are active. They both play hockey. You know, right now I'm coaching their hockey. So we, you know, this is still in the hobby stage for us. Hopefully, you know, someday that'll change, but kind of have to focus our energy somewhere and it seems Instagram's working and the, I enjoy the writing. So the blog is fun for me. Yeah. That's right. You, you played hockey and we had this conversation once about somebody asked me to start golfing. So at 68, I kind of started golfing and I had talked about a guy I interviewed, John Dahl, a podcast, who was a great hockey player and then a great golfer. And I said, everything, every, every hockey player I ever knew was also really a good golfer. And then you said, well, I'm maybe the exception or something. <laughs> is, I'm a decent <laughs> hockey player and I am an absolutely horrible golfer. Yeah. So something well, broke down in that system. I'm not sure what, but. Well, you know what we could do? We could we could go golfing at some nice golf course like Cragen's resort yeah. or something up in Northern Minnesota. And it would be a real adventure because we'd spend so little time together in the fairway. <laughs> we'd be in the woods a lot and it would be a kind of like from tent to take. <laughs> It'd be the exact same, the exact same. <laughs> What's the last thing you want folks to know about you and from tent to take off? I'll start with you, Kristen. Um, I think just that we're kind of an ordinary family, nothing, nothing special, but we love going on adventures and we hope that, you know, seeing some of our adventures encourages others to get out there and try it themselves or with their own kids. Awesome. Anthony? I'd say that kind of similar, but you know, if people have kids, they should just assume that they can do it. You know, I think a lot of people have the assumption that, okay, I have kids, I can't do it. And I think they should start at the other end and then they can use us kind of as a model and just, you know, see another, what we think is a normal family doing, you know, these unique things and just realize like, it's all doable. Takes a little planning. There's some risk involved, but you know, if you think about it, you know, you can do it. I like that. By the way, I've, I've never been a fan of the word can't. Yeah. It's just 
<clears throat> excuse me, just not for me. Well, thank you so much. This has been enjoyable. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I love what you're doing. I love your work. And uh, I, I think the world is your oyster in terms of the type of activity you're going to generate if you consistently keep doing what you're doing. You're doing I think you're doing just wonderful stuff. I appreciate you so much for coming on with me. Well, thanks, Thank Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs> we appreciate the opportunity. <laughs>